Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Cycling Tips Podcast. I'm Kelly Fritz, and a lot of you will know that today, the day that this is going up, March 8th, is International Women's Day. And so we've put together a special episode for you all. Actually, specifically, Abby has put together a special episode for you all, uh, kind of celebrating women in the bike industry and women in bikes in general. Just so everybody knows, there will be a regular episode. As always this week, it'll it'll drop Tuesday morning US time, so tomorrow. Uh, we just thought it was important to run a special episode for International Women's Day. Abby, who are we talking about today? Who are we talking to? Yeah, so I thought for International Women's Day that it would be kind of interesting to get the perspective of two women who really have their finger on the pulse of female identifying riders within the cycling world. Um, the first person I talked to was Ellery Slater, who works in marketing for Pivot Bikes, a company in the United States. And she really is has a lot of really good thoughts and ideas about getting more female identifying riders onto bikes and kind of where the industry is going in terms of growing the number of female identifying riders who are not bike riders, but cyclists, which she sees as two very different things. Someone who, who commutes versus someone who, you know, wears Lycra. The second person I talked to was Luisa Grappone, who works for as an aerospace engineer or as an aero engineer for Hunt Wheels. And I really wanted to ask her about her experience as a woman within the industry um, and how she perceives the cycling industry as someone who's working in a very male dominated sport. Well, a very a male dominated profession within a male dominated sport. Two very interesting conversations about two different realms, really, of cycling. Abby, before we talk to Ellery and Louisa, uh, you're also a woman in a male-dominated sport, in a male-dominated space, and in a male-dominated company, actually, uh, even though we've hired quite a few women over the last year or so. Cycling Tips itself is still, I think, probably 75% male, uh, so... Why don't I interview you real quick about about how you feel about that? And granted, I am your boss, which makes this not a traditional interview. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know that you can you can you know be honest when we're chatting. Uh, yeah, what have what have your experiences been like transitioning from the women's professional peloton, which has its own sort of set of issues uh to the the sort of professional world the the you know working for cycling tips working within the bike industry what's your experience been like over the last well what year and a half since you've kind of made that transition um a few interesting things i think for the most part i'm really really lucky to and i'm not just saying this because you're my boss but i'm lucky to be within a company that that has made a big push to cover women's cycling because that's why i joined this space um journalism in general like it's not something that i really ever thought that i would do although i did study it a little bit in college that was kind of more because i didn't know what to do with my life but I never really thought that I would get out of cycling and, and be doing what I'm doing. And 
I have fallen into this, this space and found that, um, I am generally really, really accepted by cycling tips and by a lot of the other writers that I know or journalists that I know in cycling, but something that really continues to bother me is the reaction that I get from people on the internet, um, about a woman writing about cycling and specifically when I write about the men's racing, I think when it comes to the women's racing people who read what I have to say and listen to my podcasts and stuff, they're already fans of women's racing. And so they like hearing it from a woman's perspective. Um, but I think, uh, I have no problem saying that I get a lot of negative comments from people that I don't know what I'm talking about. My favorite one is that I only got this job because I'm, I'm dating a rider <laughs> that, that one I get quite often. And I know that you get a lot of emails about me that, um, are not super fun. You don't pass them along. And thank you so much for that because I already um, struggle. No, I don't. <laughs> No, but, I do not. Uh, but, gener- but it, generally, yeah. they're not rel- generally they're not um, particularly well constructed arguments, and so I don't feel that they uh, really warrant either a response <laughs> or yeah. or passing on. Uh, so generally, I ignore them. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I obviously it's going to be less frustrating for me than for you having to actually deal with this. But I, I do, I, I find I do find it frustrating that. Um, a lot of the a vast majority of the negative feedback that we get here at Cycling Tips is directed at uh, our sort of two highest profile, most outward facing women, which is you and 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 Jose, right? Um, you know, there's there's quite a few quite a few women working sort of behind the scenes at CT and Pink Pike and things like that. Obviously, they're not sort of interacting from an editorial perspective, but you and you and Jose often are uh, more often than not are. Yeah, I do, I do get. I get it. I get a lot of very strange emails complaining about very strange things. Uh, which, when I when I sort of flip them on their head and and ask myself if I would ever get this email about uh, one of our male colleagues, I, I don't think I would. I really don't think I would. Um, and that is, it's frustrating because I can only imagine how irritating it must be to you right because i'm only getting kind of a piece of them and i'm they're not directed at me um well they're, they kind of are <laughs> they're often blaming <laughs> they're often they're often blaming me for hiring you, did you. Hire me. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's that's often the tone which is also just a very strange thing to to get right it's like it almost feels like these emails are the person writing them feels like we're in some like bro club and you know he, the the bro club is 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 being threatened by female incursion uh that's like that's kind of the vibe that i get from these emails and i i just kind of want to respond and say that i'm not part of your bro club whatever this weird bro club is and i <laughs> and i do not feel threatened by the incursion of abby into cycling tips i, I just fundamentally do not yeah but yeah it is it, it's you know we work in an industry where all of your work is graded by the general public and I think that that most people don't fully appreciate some of the stress that can come with that and the difficulty that can come with that is when, you know, if, if, you, if all of our listeners out there, if you imagine that all of the work that you did in the office, uh, if instead of going to your boss, went to uh, over a million people that show up on Cycling Tips every every month, 
and the amount of stress that it can cause when a, a, even a small section of, of that large number of people is unhappy about what you're doing uh, is substantial. I do think that we're sort of making strides on that front. And, and you know, I, I would say I get fewer and fewer of those messages all the time um, as people, I think, come to understand that, you know, we didn't hire you because you're going to marry Tom's. That's not it had absolutely nothing to do with why we hired you. We hired you because you're good at what you do. Uh, I think that people are slowly getting that. It's just super frustrating how long it takes. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is for, for both you and Jose who deal with just an order of magnitude more negative feedback than anybody else on staff here. It's probably 10 to 1 for, for you and Jose. And it has nothing to do with your ability to do this job. It has everything to do with people out there who are small-minded and incapable of uh, seeing women in positions of authority, which is basically what you are as an editor at Cycling Tips. Yeah, in, in in positions of maybe, I don't know if authority would be the thing that the the label that I would put on it, so much as that I have a lot of knowledge about bike racing and I'm telling the male listeners that we have for this, for the Cycling Tips podcast about a sport that they have followed for years from a female perspective, something that they have never known before. So they can either see it through my lens or they can't. And I think some people have a problem with uh, a woman telling them about a male sport um, that they think that they know better than me. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe not a position of authority, but speaking with authority. Maybe yeah. that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, I think that, that's, I think that, that threatens certain people. It's interesting because it did bother me for quite a long time. And I think I still like I really need to try hard not to read comments because it, it I, I'm a human with feelings. And so it bothers me. And um, for quite a while, I actually wouldn't I would see how long I could go on the podcast without speaking um, because I was like too afraid to speak. And I, I've gotten over it a little bit. And I think if anyone listens to freewheeling, I I'm a lot better at finding my words there. And I speak a lot differently on that podcast than I do on the cycling tips podcast. And it's because of this, which is really a bummer. Cause I shocker, <laughs> I actually do know what I'm talking about. Um, but, but it isn't just like Jose and I, it's also Kristen Frattini. I've, I reached out to her the first time I got like a hate message and asked her if she'd ever experience it. And I know Orla Shenoui got a ton of a crap about her women's issue of Rulaire. And, um, it, it isn't just, just us. And it, it's all the women who are in the journalism part of cycling, which is really a bummer because it's, something that we are passionate about. We love this sport and we just want to do what's, what's best for the sport. And I think that all of us have a, have something of value to contribute. Um, but it is, yeah, it is interesting that the fact that anyone can grade us on our work is something that has made me think about quitting like quite a few times. Um, don't do that. <laughs> but I mean, I obviously, can't because I really like what I'm doing but but yeah I, I definitely like if if the amount of times that I have cried because of an, a really shitty message on Instagram I mean I'm not proud of it but like 
we're all just humans. I don't know. I just find it slightly unacceptable. It is important to point out that there are a lot of people who have reacted very well to my coverage of cycling. Um, Like I don't want to, I don't want to sound like everyone dislikes what I'm doing because the Velo Club especially has just been amazing. And, and I do have a very select few uh, fans that I just adore. <laughs> so, um, I am like really grateful for those people and, and the support that they've shown me. Um, yeah, it's, it's does not go unnoticed. I mean, the other side of, of that coin that I was talking about earlier, the, the other side of all of the work that we do getting graded by the general public, getting, getting evaluated by the general public. And obviously we have comments and everything else and they give us feedback on what we do. Right. The other side of that coin is is that communication can actually be really positive, right? Which is exactly what you're talking about the the interaction with with the Bella Club community, the interaction with people who really enjoy your work. I think that's a big part of the reason why a lot of us stay in this uh, in this particular business. That level of feedback, I think, is quite rare within most professions. Because again, most professions, you're not sticking your work out in front of tens of thousands of people every single day. Uh, that level of feedback can it, it, it there's there is two sides of the coin. There's the positive, which is that positive feedback really can can be motivating in this work, in this line of work. But then the other side of the coin is is this is the negative feedback, right? And, and that can definitely be it cuts it cuts deep, you know. It is crippling. Uh, like the it, first time that I got one of those messages, it was like really took the wind out of my sails, and I really thought I'm not supposed to be here. And it is really interesting because it's. If you like one day when I decided to read through the comments on the podcast on Apple, uh, on the Apple podcast app, there was a couple comments that were really positive and were really happy that Jose and I had been added to the to the podcast. And I only walked away thinking about the ones that said I only got this job because of my significant other. Um, yeah, which is I mean, I guess that's kind of part of how life goes right in the human brain. I I realized the other day when I was writing the Patrick Van Gansen piece that in the last year, a year ago, I never would have called myself a feminist. I always kind of found that the word feminist has negative connotations, um, which is definitely put on put on the word by society and um, how women should not speak out and should not be loud about issues and stuff like that. And through my work with Cycling Tips, I have become more and more of a feminist, which is really interesting because I think I think it's because of these comments that I get that you you have to get kind of a thicker skin and um and it's all and I also can tell when someone is making this comment because they find my voice grating because I'm a woman versus that I didn't know what I was talking about when I was talking about stage whatever 16 of the Tour de France well before we move on to these these interviews uh, which are excellent by the way stick around for those one more thing I'd like to say to you Abby which is I'm going to combine this with a little announcement Uh, I'm having a daughter in about six weeks ish which also means I will be disappearing from the podcast for a little while and Abby is going to mostly be playing host uh, on the podcast while I am gone, uh, which will be eh, probably four weeks or so. And for obvious reasons, I don't know exactly when that's going to start, but uh, sometime, sometime uh, starting probably beginning of April-ish, I will suddenly disappear 
and Abby will be running the podcast. Uh, and so my, my sort of final thought for you, Abby, is that uh, as the as an imminent dad to a little girl, uh, I very much appreciate the sort of you, people like you, people like Orla, people like Jose are kind of pushing into a space that I would like my daughter to be able to step into without the same issues that you're that you deal with daily. Uh, you know, 20 years from now when she's when she's stepping into the professional world. And so thank you to you and everybody else who pushes this stuff forward. I think that I think that uh, without people like yourself, like Jose, like Orla, like Christopher Tini, uh, we wouldn't be seeing the kind of progress that we're seeing in cycling in the last couple of years. And it really is accelerating rapidly, which is a big part of the reason why I think we're seeing all this pushback from people who aren't comfortable with that. Uh, but it's being led by people like you. Um, you've, you've done fantastic work for CT over the last year and a half, and I really appreciate it. And you're going to be awesome hosting the podcast when I disappear in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Hopefully the ratings <laughs> don't tank. <laughs> they will not. <laughs> and with that, with my little announcement out of the way and my thank you to you, Abby, out of the way, uh, should we step into these interviews? Should we hear from Ellery first? Yeah. So first I chatted with Ellery who works in marketing. So she's really, she, she's seen a lot of the growth of female identifying riders within cycling and has a lot of thoughts on what the industry can do to push that growth farther and get more women onto bikes. So let's hear what Ellery had to say. How did you move into marketing at Pivot Bikes? Through an association with the bike shop where actually where James Wang worked. Uh, that was the first bike shop where I was like, this is where I'm going to be a real cyclist. And, it, and it's true. They did. They helped me a great deal. Um, I ended up doing some work uh, in the cycling industry. So I did a little bit of work for the Breckenridge 100 race. I did a little bit of work for um, sports garage, cycling in Boulder. Um, and that sort of gave me a viewpoint into the industry. And then I continued growing as a marketing professional and my personal book of business went into many other industries. Uh, and then one day, uh, the former, some former employees at sports garage called me and said, we're, and they had been a client. I'd done work for sports garage <clears throat> and they called and said, Hey, L the, uh, the shop is going up for sale and, uh, we nominate you, you, you should buy the bike shop. And so believe it or not inside, I had always had this like strange premonition that I would someday be back around to being involved with this particular shop. And so I came home and looked at my husband and said, I'm, I'm buying a bike shop. And he was like, you're crazy. And I said, yeah, probably. And I drug him kicking and screaming into owning a bike shop. And it was awesome. So um, now uh, I still am like a silent investor in Sports Garage. And my husband is the full-time owner operator. And really, honestly, he ended up being the face of the business. Um, and he had far more. Yeah, I kind of did. I actually kind of did. I mean, like if you, if we were being totally honest, I like I probably pushed. <laughs> and uh, but I will say it was an awesome experience. Uh, and I, it it gave me this this opportunity 
to, to really say like, what's been my experience in retail as a customer and how do I want to change that retail experience for anyone else coming in the shop? And so basically I was like, Hey, if I'm going to own a bike shop, I'm going to make it like exactly what I want. Uh, Pivot was one of the brands in the building. So Sports Garage um, was founded in 1994 and for many, many years had been both a mountain bike and a road bike shop, but the roots of the shop were in, were in off-road. And I just was like feeling the call of like the heritage of the building. And so in 2016, Sports Garage became off-road only. So we had a large gravel demo fleet and then a large mountain bike demo fleet. And we grew both sides of the businesses focusing exclusively on off-road applications, even though, you know, our, our gravel fleet was a, a drop bar fleet of bikes. Um, and then there was another layer to that, which was building a women's community. So all of those things, all those roots for me really grew out of owning a, owning a bike shop. And, and then in the process of growing that business, uh, I got to know Chris Kokalis, the CEO of Pivot Cycles. Uh, and that's what brought me to being at Pivot. So a lot of the marketing work that I did at Sports Garage mirrored the core values of the brand. And in 2019, when when Chris kind of carved out a new like director level marketing role, <laughs> I, I literally, I texted him and was like, hey, that'd be cool if I could do that job. And, and, and he was like, yeah, that would be cool. Like, yeah, that was it for like a couple of weeks. And then, and then I thought about it and I emailed him and I was like, so I wasn't kidding. I, I'm actually going to apply for the marketing manager's job. I, I wasn't kidding. So just in case you weren't kidding, here's my resume. And he's like, well, just so you know, like I wasn't kidding either. And we had this funny little repartee back and forth that did not involve the human resources manager at all until it got down to the point where he said, well, how would this work? And I was like, well, I would sign an NDA on both sides and I would leave sports garage and I would come be the marketing manager at Pivot. And uh, that's, that's what, what, asked what ended up happening. So in, in like right around November 1st of 2019, I joined the, the team at Pivot Cycles as the marketing manager. And I really, really applaud the brand for reaching into their dealer base to hire into their marketing department rather than like reaching laterally somewhere into another outdoor industry, reaching laterally in the marketing department for someone with marketing experience at the brand level. Uh, I really, really admired the decision for them to reach down into their dealer base for uh, marketing leadership because it reflects, I believe it reflects Pivot's commitment to their dealers and to their end consumers, right? Because their dealers are the most, you know, our Pivot dealers are the most consumer facing part of our business. That's how I ended up at Pivot. <laughs> it all started with a cult of poverty bike at a community college. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I also, my first ever bike was like a pretty trashy mountain bike that my ex-boyfriend found in a in like a junkyard. So totally. I, feel I like love it. asking women about their first bike, like, you know, and, and there's, there seems to be these themes, right? There's like some of us that just had this insane, like, whatever, I'm going to figure it out. And then, and then there's a lot of people that are like, so-and-so drug it into me, you know, my boyfriend wrote me into it, you know, but I love that more and more I hear women saying my girlfriends invited me or like my, my friends introduced yeah. me. So yeah. I think that we're starting to change those storylines just a little bit. 
Yeah, it's actually, it's really cool in Boulder a lot of the times when I go to ride. When I was first uh, in school there and I would go on rides, I wouldn't really see many women out on the roads. And it's been in the last couple years that I've been seeing these groups of women more and more out on the roads. And there will be days when I'll go for a ride and I won't see like a single man, but I'll see multiple groups of women. And I just love it. I think it's so amazing. I also think one of the things is that... um is that female identifying riders have a talent for seeking one another out. Um, so I started mountain biking and I rode exclusively with men. And then I got into road cycling because I had done some damage to my knees running too far. And, and I was like, Oh, I'll get a road bike. And that'll, you know, that will give me an extra outlet. You know, I won't be on the trail all the time. And then I rode only with men. And, and at one point in time, I was, uh, I was riding the triple bypass by myself. And uh, I was running a triple bypass and I was like climbing up to Vail Pass. Okay. So I was like, I was climbing up to Vail Pass and I, I had kept seeing on course, these um, kits that said outdoor divas Boulder. And, uh, and it was the outdoor divas team, formerly the title nine team. This was like in about 2000 and 11, maybe like 2011. And I kept, I kept seeing these divas kits and I'm like, all ladies, purple kits. I was like, there's, I'm like, oh, here's all these women out here writing. But of course, remember, I tell you, like, I remember, like my story started from like zero knowledge base. Right. And uh, so I actually like chased this one woman down on the climb and I was like, Hey, I'm like, are you girls a club? Uh, like, where do you ride? Like, what else do you do? I'm like, my name's Ellery. I, you know, like, and uh, her name was Wendy Durst and she was really instrumental in leading the club and still is actually. But so actually the first group of women I ever rode with, I like stalked one of the women during the triple bypass. And later she was like, Ellery wanted to like chat me up on the climb up to Vail Pass. <laughs> and like, I think I was such a newbie. I didn't realize it was supposed to be a suffer fest at that point in time. And uh <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, that's actually how I started riding with women. The first time was I literally like stalked these girls during the triple bypass and was like, how do I get in touch with you? How do I join your club? <laughs> well, that's like one of the most amazing things about cycling. I feel like for, it's like you're exercising, which is, you know, a plus, but it also makes it so easy to, to talk to people, to interact. Like you can go on coffee, you can stop for a coffee yeah. and like have a chat right. and, you may all be different fitnesses. You may all have different ability, like ability levels, but I don't know. It, there's just something about when you get into a group of women and you go on a ride together that it kind of levels the playing field because it's just like this really happy go lucky environment. That's pretty awesome. The, I had that experience when I was, when I raced at CU for an undergrad. Yeah. It's, it, I, I, I always like, ask myself a question, either like if, if I'm like doing a podcast or a presentation or, or how, like I've, I've done some guest speaking and, and instruction at QBP. And when we get around to the, the, the conversation of women, I always think like, why should the male identifying cyclists listen to women talk about female identifying cyclists, right? Like, why is this still the relevant conversation? And a lot of it really does have to do with that environment. Like what, what are groups of female identifying riders bringing to the sport, right? Like what kind of environment are they creating that actually creates new access points for more people to join the sport? Um, I, I probably have my greatest level of familiarity with uh, like female identifying participation rates in the, in the off-road disciplines in cycling, but 
you know, you can span, you know, women, women, I say with quote to air quotes, are not necessarily, I would never say that women are a segment of cycling, right? They're a gender, right? But they have their, just as diverse in their interests as any other group of cyclists. So you can see, let's say, participation rates in some disciplines of like road cycling or commuting, 50% or greater participation for female identifying riders. But then you get down to like core disciplines in mountain biking, and we still have participation rates around 15% in some places. So I still think it is a relevant conversation because there are some environments and some disciplines where female identifying riders are still trying to find a voice and they're trying to find those access points. And they do bring a great deal to the table once once they're a part of the group. So as someone who works in marketing and works in the cycling industry and marketing, how this is like, you know, the biggest question, how can we get more women on bike? Yes. Well, I have some really like, as most people take, I have some strong opinions about this. Like, like there's some real ways I think we could do it. Um, and, uh, there's some real ways I think we could do it. And I don't want to give lip service to like all the things we've heard said before, right? Like we have to create better retail experiences and we have to, and we have to inform women more about their options and all that stuff is true. All that stuff is true. And I have seen in the last four to five years efforts by so many brands that I absolutely applaud, like more storytelling with real women writers, right? More specific information provided for women when they come to an event. Like we've actually started to have like more sophisticated dialogue. I've, I've been so fortunate to have a really strong ongoing dialogue with two other marketing leaders female, female marketing leaders in the cycling world, uh, Brooke Hopper at, uh, live, uh, the global marketing manager at glib, uh, excuse me, at live cycling and Kelly Emmett at Juliana. I feel like, and there's other girls on that list. Um, uh, like Laura Haraldson at QBP and Jess Grenwis at QBP, Lindsay Belchenko at Salsa. Uh, I feel like we've kind of developed this underground network of women working to say the same thing. So there's the answer to your question. How do we get more women on bikes? Um, when we work together as a group of brands and as an industry to give clear cues, clear cues to female identifying riders, and we, and we do it consistently, it starts to kind of create some safe spaces. So collaborating with all these other women in the industry has been super awesome because we can get together and kind of leave our brand garbage at the door and say, okay, if we all worked together, what, what could we accomplish? Right? So things like making sure that we talk about technology in accessible ways and talk about technology like equally, right? One thing, one critical thing I think we could do that I know people have heard me say is we need to cut out this debate about whether or not women's specific design is relevant, right? Like, that is a wasted time because it's confusing. So at its core, we've got a bunch of people debating the merit of the philosophy, but if that trickles down in the customer journey, it just ends up with a female identifying writer that's confused. Do I, do I need women specific design? Do I not need women specific design? And it doesn't give again, that word clear cue. 
So as we work together as an industry to give clear cues, we can cut out some of the confusion and cut out some of the noise. So I think that's one thing that we can do. Another thing we can do is uniformly adopt best practices and how we welcome female identifying writers into safe spaces, like giving them enough information about what's actually gonna happen on a group ride. If you're in mountain biking land, giving them very specific information and very tangible information about the skill set required to go on a group ride or on any ride. Um, so there, and then continuing with the efforts that I see so many brands doing to create stories around female identifying writers that people can, that they can relate to. Like women want to be able to envision themselves in their journey. And if, and if you're a beginner, it's really hard to be like, yeah, I see myself as a pro enduro racer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally identify with that. Right. So we have to continue to cultivate particularly in online and digital media communities, voices for female identifying writers that just are normal. Like this is how I say it in mountain bike normal. I, that's such a terrible word. Like have you ever seen anything weirder than a normal person? But um, let me just say this, all the different places that we are at in our journey as cyclists need to be represented for women to feel that they can connect with the media. And that's really important. Like what the way that I say this in, in mountain biking land, it's super hard. I've actually like caught myself doing this as I've, you know, it, it like as I've progressed as a rider and as I've become affiliated with a brand that's well known for like innovation and having ex, like exceptional mountain bike technology. The very way that I can sum this up in creating media around women who just are at every level and stage and age of riding is sometimes we need to stop being afraid of not being rad. Okay. Like if you look really carefully at most of the stories we tell across all of cycling, there's a moment of like radness, right? Like, Oh God, at least she like cleared that gap, right? Like, okay, we're still talking about mountain biking. Like, okay. At least she like pinned it to the finish line. Right. Or like, at least she can sprint. Like, you know, we, 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 we want so badly to be so rad that we forget that that kind of intimidates some women that are new to the sport. Like, do I have to do that? You know? So I'm kind of giving a long and meandering explanation, but if I could say three things that would really benefit having more female identifying writers in the sport, one is like, let's work together to give clear cues to female identifying writers about technology. So they're not confused when they want to like buy bikes. Um, that one's really, really important. And then number two, let's make sure we give, we, we, we create good mutual expectations with women around the experiences they're having, racing, riding, joining clubs, going on group rides. And then third, let's continue to create a really diverse set of profiles of female identifying riders in our media so that women can envision their own journey. And occasionally that means we have to not be afraid to not be rad. Not all the time, just occasionally. <laughs> we can be rad sometimes. We can be rad sometimes. We can be rad sometimes. I always, I always say that melodramatically because it just makes people think like, oh yeah, we, we do always try to make it super rad, don't we? <laughs> We do. we do. It's so true. It's Jimmy too. And I've heard lots of women be like, it's so intimidating. Yeah. The glitz and the glamour. It's, it's actually really funny. Like of your, of your three cues, the one that I kind of have talked the most about with, with, within my friend group and kind of the women that I'm friends with, um, who are in cycling is the third one about representation and, and being able to 
say, look at like some kind of marketing material and see yourself in it. And my favorite example is like, I tried to buy my mom cycling clothing and I sent her the website and the only models they'd used on the website was a former world champion. (laughs) And my mom was like, I can't wear any of this clothing. And I was like, no, it comes in like it comes in baggier sizes. You don't have to wear the form fitting right. one. And my mom is like really fit. Like she, she's been riding a bike for a really long time and everything, but she like saw that yeah. the, the model was like Lizzie Dagnan and she was only wearing a really tight Jersey. And my mom was like, I can never wear totally. it. No, I'll just keep wearing my t-shirt. Yeah. And I was like, mom, so, but it's true. It's like, yeah, it makes a really big difference. Yeah. And- pivot um we re- this is one of the problems we really wanted to we like we really wanted to tackle and actually like today international women's day this is interesting we are launching today i think probably an initiative that is the something i'm the most excited about speaking directly to this we partnered with wild rye uh, wild rye is a women's mountain bike apparel company based in ketchum idaho um, the owner, Cassie Abel, the owner and CEO, Cassie Abel, she and I um, connected over a year ago and said, like, what can we do together? Like, let's, let's, you know, she's an up and coming brand. And we were looking to grow in our effectiveness and how we reached out to the female identifying audience. And I had bought a wild rye kit literally like two months after the company launched, like five years ago. And man, that it's, uh, I have, I've tried to ride that thing into the ground, but I can't like, it's got the most amazing materials integrity. It's a completely different color now because of like mud splatters and like sun exposure and all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you're doing it right, then it just doesn't stay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like, I was so impressed and it's still like the favorite, it's my go-to thing to put on. And so one day I was like, I'm just going to cold call wild rye and be like, let's do a collab. Let's put our marketing brains together and do something cool. So um, I'm bringing that up now because when we talk about creating safe spaces where women can envision their journey. I think Wild Rye and and Cassie and what she's doing is one of the shining examples in the industry. And so we partnered and we actually developed a collab kit. It's uh, it's the Wild Rye Pivot. It's co-branded. And we started like sharing our stories, sharing our athlete base, um, co-marketing the product in a story wrapped all around what we call real writers. And like all of the media we've created to talk about this collab and our partnership and what we value in one another features real women writers um, across a really broad spectrum, um, cr- cutting across the spectrum of, of ethnicity and gender preference and age. Uh, we just really said, hey, let's put our money where our mouth is and, and let's create a product around which we can wrap a story about collaboration in the industry to create safe spaces for women where they can really envision their journey. So that's something actually that, that, that both uh, Cassie and I, that people will be hearing from us today and throughout this week, because we'll be launching that collab kit that will be both at Wild Rye and at Pivot, and then the story wrapping around it. And it feels really important, right? Because it cuts across at least two of the big things that you said, what can we do to get more industry women? Well, let's work together and let's create safe spaces for real riders. So that's kind of an exciting project, uh, really exciting project for me and for Cassie. And we've been working together on it for uh, eight or nine months. I love it when brands collaborate together. I just think it's so exciting. I mean, it's, 
On the road side, one of my favorite collaborations in 2020 was Rafa and Outdoor Voices. Yes, yes. was one of my absolute favorite collaborations because when you think about what that means for, for women, I mean, Outdoor Voices has always been this advocate for for body positivity and any shape, any size, like we just want to work out and be outside because we love it. And, and Rafa taking that step to back, like everything that outdoor voices was, was this moment to me looking at the industry and thinking about like, how can we make the women's side of the industry just bigger there? Have there be more voices, have there be more, more opportunities for, for people to get involved in cycling for, to fall in love with it. Like you did. And like I did, and like so many people do. And, and I saw this collaboration as just this, this huge step in road cycling. Yeah. And it it feels, it it does. It it feels really good. And and you kind of feel like you're making an impact when you're syncing up with another brand at the core values level. And, you know, the reason I mentioned that I, uh, the Jersey that I, and shorts that I just can't ride into the ground is like, you know, we had to sync up on more than just, oh, hey, let's tell cool stories. And Pivot's so committed to our technology, our innovation, our materials integrity. And that was actually the reason I called Cassie. I was like, man, her kit has got innovation and technology and materials integrity. I think this might work. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, you like recognize those things. In each totally, other. totally. Yeah. We recognize those, 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 those values in one another. So um, it's interesting too, because even though, you know, I had talked about the fact that there's like higher participation rates in other sectors within cycling than there is in mountain biking. I really think these core conversations, they cut across whether it's in road cycling or in gravel or in mountain biking, like at some point in time, we all, every sector is sort of having this exact same conversation. And I think the thread that ties it all together is like, you know, bringing it always back around to like, what do, what does it mean for the industry to have more female identifying riders involved? Right. And women are community builders, right? They're cooperative, right? They love to invite more people into their experience, right? They like to help one another feel good about what they're doing. So if you think about advocacy, not just for being on the bike, but trail building, equal access in events, building communities that have e-mobility or like, you know, not, not car mobility at the center, you know, raising families that have physical activity as a value. Like we can make a laundry list of things where female identifying riders can have a really serious impact. And just accelerate the efforts that the industry is already pursuing. So I think that, you know, female identifying writers, in my mind, they just add this like accelerative impact to things that the industry really cares about. So do you think that the industry is getting any better at welcoming women into it? Yeah, I really do. I really do. Like when, when I see the stories being published, the collaborations that are happening in the wake of the pandemic, I still have one ear on my bike shop, right? And so, you know, the number of women calling saying I'm new in the sport, um, uh, two young women in Boulder, Kate McLaughlin and Kristen Smith starting Elevated Alpine, and, and they're interested in doing think tanks and talking to the industry. And I just, every day I hear more and more uh, about 
female identifying writers creating these like safe spaces and wanting to make an impact, right? There's this, like, there's a little bit of a groundswell relative to, I would say even like five years ago, like the first time that, uh, that we hosted a women's off-road cycling Congress, it was, it felt a little bit more like certainly a relevant conversation. And there are lots of leaders in the industry well before my time that had been talking about women in cycling, but it felt like a, like a, a new effort to really, really, really come together, at least locally. Um, and now kind of standing at more of a, a national international perspective in the pivot seat, I look out and I see these grassroots efforts happening all over the place, right? Whether it's elevated Alpine in Boulder or Girls Gone Wild out in California, the Sturdy Dirty up in the Northwest and, uh, you know, like women's clubs coast to coast, they're slowly but surely we're adding more voices and seeing the female identifying writers that brands are making storytellers right now is really exciting. Like some of the stuff that Cassie is doing for sure, or um, like Salsa inviting Crystal Salvant, who used to work at Rafa, um, to be one of their new voices. There are like just cool new profiles of writers popping up all the time, popping up all the time. And, and I like seeing more female identifying creatives. Like I've talked to more female videographers and photographers in the last year um, than I had in the three years previous, specific to the outdoor industry and specific to cycling. So that's cool. Cause now we've got a new vantage point, right? Like they have, a unique camera angle. They have, they're looking for something else. They're inherently themselves as a creative, which is only going to benefit the authenticity of the stories of these, of these new writers that are joining. I do think we're making progress. Have you gotten any pushback by, by anyone on your, your work to kind of grow this side of the industry? I wouldn't say there's direct pushback. I think probably because it's like, would be like really politically incorrect and unpopular to be like, ah, whatever. We don't need more, <laughs> you know? Um, we don't need more women in cycling. Like, I don't think anybody would ever say that. But, you know, there's these subtle challenges that we face. And I think the subtle challenges are the ones that are the hardest, you know, to, to change. Things like, I love how many women are on my team at Pivot. Like the marketing department at Pivot has 50-50 gender equity, right? But not the whole building, right? I really wanted to find a female identifying mechanic at Sports Garage. But I did get pushback from my guys that, that she needed to be equally qualified, right? And so there's just these little moments where you see, ah, we still need to keep working. And yes, I have, uh, I have gotten pushback in the past. I can remember one time I was, uh, talking, I don't remember what publication I was talking to, but it was one of the first women's off-road cycling congresses. And somebody was like, why, why did you, why are you doing this? Why are you putting together this, you know, event? And I was like, because ladies night usually is not awesome. Like I don't love ladies night at the bike shop. Cause you know, usually they're like trying to get you to open your purse in exchange for some free wine and chocolate. And that just doesn't really speak to me as a writer. And, uh, and, and I can remember asking, well, why, why do you need a better ladies night? And that was like one time where I'm like, oh, that's some pushback. <laughs> like, why does it matter if there's a good ladies night? And I was like, well, you know, so I don't necessarily get direct pushback, but there's this subtle 
learning curve that everyone's coming up against, especially when you do business with uh, like male identifying individuals in the industry who just think it's just been that way for so long, right? That they're, they're allies and they're well-intended, but sometimes they're not even realizing what they're saying when they're talking to a group of women in the room. But more and more and more, the conversation includes the word allies. And that is definitely a sign of progress. What about within the industry? Do you think there's a growth with the growth of uh, women in, in cycling? Yeah. Is there also a growth of women who are working in the industry, be it, you know, engineers like Louisa um, or mechanics or, or yeah, people in marketing. Yeah. It's, it's growing more slowly than ridership, definitely more slowly than ridership. So, you know, I think one, you know, you don't necessarily always see a lot. They're out there. There's women in every part of the industry. There's women in engineering, there's women in marketing, there's women in, um, you know, pro builders, uh, mechanics, uh, sales staff, outside reps, you know, uh, but still, I would say if you look at the percentage of ridership versus like the percentage of employment, it's still like women employed in the industry is still growing a little more slowly. I mean, I guess that's kind of like chicken and egg. Yeah. The more women who get into cycling, yeah. like say there's a little girl somewhere whose mom is like super into cycling and they're going to grow up around bikes and then they're going to be like, oh man, how is this thing made? Yeah. Yeah. And and to see it as like, you know, a viable option. And um, I also think like, you know, we go back to that idea of like safe spaces. Like when you go out to ride, you know, we, there's these cultural norms, you know, this is part of the whole thing of creating images of women riding that people can relate to, right? And I think actually the same thing kind of applies in the workplace, right? Like diversity in the workplace sometimes is not just about uh, like our ethnicity or gender preferences, but like I make a point honestly to wear high heels and earrings to work. (laughs) Seriously, I do, I do. Like I wear more mascara when I'm in Tempe than I ever do when I'm like sitting in my home office And it's like a silent way of like projecting into the organization, all different visions of professional women are welcome here, right? Like you don't have to totally lose your identity uh, and to, 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 to sort of, you know, meet the cultural norms. And that, I know that sounds really silly, but it's like my, it's like my, my silent way of expanding the way women, women look when they're working in the industry. I used to do the same thing at the bike shop too. I, I 100% back that I like put, I spend 30 minutes before we record each podcast, putting on makeup. Well, you know, it's funny you asked about, do you ever get pushback? So this one day I, I, I I was, I came to the office and I was wearing, uh, I was wearing a white dress. It was like August in Tempe, which is basically the surface of the sun. Um, and I, like I, I cannot hang with my colleagues who are just like, so, they, they can go crush in the summer heat and it's like really fun, but like I can't hang cause I'm, you know, I, I bounce back and forth between Boulder and Pivot's headquarters. Um, but uh, I was wearing a white dress and it had like a white, like um, ribbon tie. And I had on some like high heeled sandals and like my favorite big blingy earrings. And like, I got a lot of stuff like that in my closet and I went to work. So here, here's an example of the pushback, right? Where you're just like, even the people that said these things to me, I love, and they're super smart, super open-minded people, right? But I came to work and within an hour and a half, someone said, 
Are you going to a wedding? Are you going to the Kentucky Derby? Why are you so dressed up? And I was like, first of all, I'm the marketing manager. I'm at work. It's August. And I like this dress. Like, but I had to, I, I had to either ignore it or explain why I like lip gloss. And, uh, that, you know, that's just one of those like funny little moments where I know that like everybody was like, oh, that's weird. She's not wearing a t-shirt. Um, but it's kind of, again, it's like my silent way of saying, Hey, there are so many ways we can envision and welcome female identifying individuals into our organization professionally or as writers. Um, and so if like, if you, if you look at pictures of me writing, I, I always like try to wear the biggest earrings I possibly can, but, like big blingy cubic zirconia ones that like will pick up the camera flash or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, that one day where they were like, are you going to the Kentucky Derby? I was like, nope, just coming to work. Just like, just like I did when I was the marketing manager at a different company, but that wasn't in cycling. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. I have, there's an ongoing conversation between me and one of my colleagues at Cycling Tips, who's also a woman about flowers on a jersey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And how I love flowers on a jersey. I'm like, give me purple, give me flowers. That just brings joy to my yeah, heart. Yeah. And she is of the impression that it diminishes the, like, being able to, people don't take you as seriously if you have a purple flowery jersey. And I think it's just, it's a little bit of a cultural difference because she, she's from, she's Dutch. So there is, like, definitely that there. But it's really funny within the, community of female identifying individuals in cycling yeah. there's still this like massive difference between you know all we're all just different totally yeah i've, I've asked and some questions like, in focus groups yeah. before about like products and i've learned not to ask like female identity like there's as many opinions among female identifying writers as like what our clothes should look like and i finally was like you know what this is the one space where female identifying writers should just let it go wear whatever you want like because yeah. that's the whole point, right? Everybody was going to want something different. Somebody wants something murdered out. Somebody wants something pink. Somebody wants something to have a pocket on it. Somebody wants something to be full coverage, you know? Um, so I, I feel like that's a place where actually like, well, let's just welcome it all. Just pick what works for you, right? Uh, the touch points, your chamois. Yeah, let's make that, gen you know, built by women for women. But but everything else, I feel like, uh, you know, there can be a, a room for self-expression. And that's, you know, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it should be a debate whether or not a purple jersey is purple flowers, a, speaks well of women or doesn't speak well of women, right? Like, I mean, what would she say about my white Kentucky Derby dress at work? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Probably, probably some choice words for sure. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I I really learned a lot actually chatting with you and thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. I really appreciate the invitation, Abby. Thank you. That was Ellery. She has so many thoughts and her and I could have probably kept talking for another hour about all of her thoughts within the, the women's cycling world. But I also wanted to hear from somebody who's really in the industry, someone who deals with the behind the scenes, the actual making of the bicycles, because there's 
two different worlds here. There's the the women that are riding the bikes, and then there's the inner industry people who there are very few women in the industry who work in roles like Louisa. So I wanted to hear kind of Louisa's point of view on the industry. I'm Luisa, Luisa Gapone. I'm product and engineering manager in Hans. Um, I am Italian, but I now live in UK. I moved almost four years ago when I started to work for, for Hans. Um, I'm an aerospace engineer as well. So I started really um, my career a long, long time ago as an aerospace engineer uh, working for the um, 787 Boeing program. Uh, I spent a couple of years in the aerospace industry and then by accident, uh, um, I did, I had an interview, uh, um, with 3T, uh, cycling with the technical director of 3T, uh, long, long time ago. And then, yeah, I started to work in the industry and now it's been, uh, 12 years almost since I've been working in the cycling industry. And you, you've worked for 3T and then Campagnolo and now Hunt. Yes, exactly. I spent uh, almost uh, five years, four years and a half uh, in 3T. Then I moved uh, to Campagnolo. Uh, I was there for almost four years. And then it's almost four years now since I've been working for, for Hunt. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I had a bit of like experience in the industry. When you first came into the cycling industry, did you have any challenges as a woman kind of slotting yourself into the industry? Because you definitely have an incredible background as far as aerospace engineering and, and working it with planes. Not really, not any, not more, much more problems that I could have experienced in the aerospace world, I have to say, you know, because that was already something that prepared my skin. Uh, when I was studying at university, I was one of five girls in between 200 boys. So we were just like, you know, the few of us. Uh, and I really never had this any issue. The only thing that I was uh, getting, I was experiencing when I started to work in the second industry, and that was that people were expecting me to be more... Um, PR or a marketing girl or a sales person. No one really was like thinking about me being an engineer and talking with them about technical stuff. So every time I was like attending or just running presentation, technical presentation with teams, uh, mechanics, riders, uh, every time I was putting more specific technical slides behind me, they were like, Oh, wait a moment. So you are not a, a marketing person. And then that was just the only difference. But, you know, once we were starting talking about and just explained everything was not, I, I have to say, I really never had uh, a different um, way of people dealing with me uh, because I was like a, a woman, just the first impact for them was a bit different, I have to say. Was it frustrating or was it kind of just like, that? Yeah, no, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, I was just like, the first time that happened, well, um, you, you, I didn't have that in the 
in my previous experience because you know they all knew already that I was an engineer. So when I in my previous company or when I was going to do other things in my previous working experience, so the first time that this happened to me, I did laugh. Um, then I said, I was saying myself, oh, again. So it was, you know, like, okay, it's going to happen again. They think that I'm just not there. But yeah, after a while, they started to know me and they were already expecting me to be the, the small, tiny girl, but not like, you know, someone who was there knocking at them and just trying to make them like thinking and understanding a bit more. And really the thing that I was always experienced, but that was not really due to me being a girl or a woman. It was just sometimes it was hard to deal with old school people, you know, but that happened every time, you know, when people are used to do something in that way because they've been doing that way for years, it's a bit hard to make them used to the, the news or thinking differently. Uh, but again, this is not really related to the fact that you are a man or a woman. I guess. Do you ever feel like you have to put in an extra amount of work to kind of prove yourself versus like a male colleague? Yeah, that's, this is has happened. I have to say probably it still happened into everyday life for us women. It's not, I don't want to say it's not a kind of excuse, but yes, it was happening when I was at university. It was happening at my first job. You always, um, you always have to, I say you have to do twice to get recognized sometimes half of your job. Luckily, unfortunately, this doesn't happen every time. You know, it's like, uh, but I have experienced um, situations where, yeah, uh, they were not even listening to me uh, because, yeah, they were not expecting me to be able to talk about, I don't know, clamps on sequels. Because how am I supposed to know about clients? Well, I'm an engineer. I've done that. I have designed in that. And I can understand the, the, the mechanism and the, the functionality of that thing. But as I said, as again, it was a preconception that when you start to talk to people and they start to know you, it goes away soon. But yeah. I think it's also a little bit of um, like even outside of the cycling industry or even any industry at all. I feel like for women, it's kind of ingrained in us that we need to work harder because yeah. we'll, we'll always be a step backwards. And you know what? Sometimes what uh, surprised me is that other women are surprised. You know, like, like, for example, like um, I remember one of the last few uh, going out that I had before of, before COVID we, uh, I was at a pub uh, and we met another couple. She was like, you know, you start to talk about things. And when I was, they were asking us, me and my partner, oh, what are you doing here? Because it was clear that we were not, we are not English. And she was so surprised about the fact that I was an engineer. I was running a technical department. I said, well, thank you, but you should not be surprised because you, should think that that is the the normality for us. So sometimes it's most it's mainly the surprise for other women that made me feel a bit you know not sad, but it's like they some of us are accepting the fact that we cannot do those things. So that's not possible, really. It's not it's unbelievable for me because you do what you want to do. 
in spite of what you are, man or, or woman. So you don't have to get this from other women. Yeah, and I guess, so the more that there are women in roles like yours at Hunt and, and moving into these technical jobs in cycling, the more women will follow because they see that it can be done. Um, yeah, I think that the more the industry includes women and the more women join the industry, then more will follow. It's kind of like a tidal wave effect, you know? Yeah, it, it won't be seen as a, uh, an inclusive world of men. So you won't probably, yeah, people, young people, young girls won't think, oh, I will feel uncomfortable because I would be the only one in a room of like a 50 men. So uh, yeah, hopefully, yeah, that is going to change. It's changing already, you know, but yeah. Out of curiosity, if, was there any difference at, from working at a bigger company like Campagnolo to working at a relatively smaller company like Hunt? Oh, yeah, that was something that I already experienced when I moved from 3T to Campagnolo again, because 3T is more or less like Hunt in terms of structure. And Campagnolo obviously is a bigger company. There is more structure, more department. So the difference was not related to men and women and how they were dealing with the two genders. It was more like um, organization of the company. You know, you are... Uh, being 500 people you need to have rules you need to have a structure uh, um, my job was very different from what I was doing for example in 3D where I could uh, you know um, follow the entire project I was just I was a an engineer designer a mechanical engineer they say uh, some someone who was dealing with a product design but in 3D I could embrace the whole project I was talking with suppliers I was following the team i was doing testing because being a much smaller company you could do much more in campagnolo there was a department for doing testing a department for following the team so my job was specific more specific concentrated on product design product development and that was the, the only difference and then there were much more women, I have to say, which was nice. You know, being a big company, there were a lot more of female colleagues, uh, but no one of them was riding, unfortunately. <laughs> For you, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer to be able to be part of the entire process or did you like to just focus on the one thing? Oh, definitely being part of the entire process is, is, is what I like the most. And in fact, it is what gives you the, you know, the push to then, change your, um, not change your job, but improving your career. There is a moment when you want to step up, you know, because you don't want to be always there on a screen designing whatever it is. You want to go a bit further and you want to start to see the whole process. You want to uh, talk about like uh, product strategy, marketing strategies, uh, dealing with supply and technical stuff. So that is something that I've, I prefer much more. And I also think it's important sometimes, you know, I I have a lot of friends or ex-colleagues. When you start to work for a big, big company, you sometimes don't get the opportunity to work on that aspect. You are much more specialized in something, which is good because you become like a master or a specialized in that thing. But you don't know how to deal a, a bit more like in a wider uh, way so I guess it's important when you start working you know to be 
to be able to work on something but look at other different aspects of a project and then obviously you can focus on what you like the most and uh, but yeah I prefer doing a bit more of having like the control of a complete project what's your favorite thing about your job oh the the, the thing that I can I can work on wheels in the specific before in 3 was any other components you design it you do analysis on that and finally you go to the supplier or your side you make you see it come into a real shape and you are like the one testing what you have done you know so that's that's incredible and you know, when I started to work for the industry, in this industry, I was not um, a, a proper cyclist. Uh, now I, I just define myself a pro, but obviously, because, you know, before I was following cycling, I liked to just, you know, watching the races. I, and I most were, was doing cycling as recreational things, you know, like uh, commuting or going out with friends from one place to the other of the, the town. But then I started to cycle properly because I wanted to understand what I was doing. And that was like, uh, you know, it changed completely my life. I'm now addicted to cycling. I'm, I'm just doing training every day. I, every weekend, if I don't ride my bike, I feel sad because I could not be outside and ride my bike. And, you know, ultimately when you have your, you know, when I was working for 3T, I had the luckiness. I was lucky to meet eight world championship champion in the same team. And when you have eight previous former world champion riding your component, you say, "Well, it's like heaven." <laughs> what do you, what, what, what do you ask? So that that's incredible. Do you get to like go to many events and and see your products in real time? Yes, I I do. I was doing a lot in the past. Uh, we we do the same. Obviously, this year has been uh, something. Yeah, but yeah, um, it was good to know. You know, to events like races or even it was just like meeting um, a team for their training camp and you know talking with them. But obviously, when you are at the Tour de France, the final stage, or when you are at a Milano Sanremo. Well, and you are there. Look, you see guys passing with your your wheels. There is 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 such a, a great thing. Yeah. Well, do you think you are gonna stick in cycling, or would you ever go back to working on planes? No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> I got you know. I got the opportunity because in these past like ten years, I've been contacted by recruiters, and no, I I always said no. There is no way for me. It's a, you know, when I, I, when I decided to change, it was because for two years I was doing, I was repeating the exact same job every day. I knew already before going to the office what would have been my day. And for two years, it was the same, the same thing. So, and, you know, when I was at that time, I was young. I said, I cannot do that for the rest of my life. I cannot really imagine how those people around me that they were doing that for can do that for the rest of their life. So I said, no. And you know, yeah, obviously you can see things and you, you still design and work on components, 
But what I was working on was a slight connection between two main sections of the fuselage. Well, what is that? I don't even know. Every time I was going on a plane, I was trying to look at what was hidden behind the panels to understand a bit more. But uh, no, I wouldn't. I will not go back. And now, not only do you get to work on every single aspect of a wheel, you also get to ride it yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the, the thing. You know, I I can test with set new models. I can do the swap and you know comparison. That's the great. And it's not just it's the wheel. It, it's uh, any component on the bike. You start to look at every single aspect, which could be a spoke or the position of your your. I'm very, very, um, also, I, I look to details even when it's not with my proper stuff. You know, I'm very um, detailed on clothing, for example, gloves, and all the things. And I always think about, you know, there should be, now talking back to women, more women in the industry because for years we have been using clothes that was specifically done for men and it's completely different. So you need to understand the needs of the other gender. And to do that, you need to be part of the other gender because it's the only way that you understand the feeling of wearing some deep shirt compared to others or whatever it is. So that's great. And then you can, I can do this every day on my bike and that's awesome. Yeah, and now that more women are getting interested in bikes and there's women like you who look at things and they're like, this doesn't seem like it was made for a woman. There are like clothing companies that are specific to women that are starting and we're kind of making these moves to make women feel like they really have a space in cycling. Exactly, exactly. And that's 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 important. And yeah, it's, go- it's going to change. Obviously, it, it now it's completely different from ten different from ten years ago, and it's going to be better. Every it's going to be better and better, and I'm I'm happy, you know, that there are we can talk about that, and we can give probably you know a, a sort of like input to other young people, and yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah. And hopefully there's, I don't know, some girl out there listening to this podcast who's like, she's an aerospace engineer and she works on bike wheels. I want to do that too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, that could be, it's great. You know, inspiring people because, and at least, you know, what I always say um, to everyone, it's, you don't, you, if you have a dream, it's really, you need to work hard for making it happen. You know, because in the end, uh, just our life and we need to be happy we need to be we need to work hard for our dreams whichever it could be you know and that we don't have to be uh, pulled behind or pushed aside because we don't feel part of the world that we want to be part of Abby, one of the things that really stood out to me about that conversation or in that conversation was when Louisa talked about how most of the rooms that she walks into uh, in sort of the cycling space, people think that she is part of the PR or communications arm of whatever company that she's working for. Uh, that just struck me. I, I think it's a bit, it's, it's quite embarrassing, I, I think, for cycling 
to to have that be a recurring theme for her. You know, I don't necessarily think it's too surprising because probably eight or nine out of ten women that that I interact with uh, in cycling and in the cycling industry are in communications versus engineering. And as she said, you know, but she was like one of five women in her 200 plus person, you know, engineering class, for example, uh, it's quite rare. She's in a position that's quite rare, but that's the problem, right? Is that that's, we, 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 the whole industry kind of pigeonholes her into a place that she's not actually working. I, I, that anyway, just struck me as something that, um, is a, is a nice, not nice. It's a bad, but it's a it's a, a sort of a a distillation of a lot of the problems uh, with the cycling industry in one tiny little anecdote right there. Right, just found it found it really interesting. It's kind of the same as when you see a woman in an airport; you think she's probably a stewardess and not piloting the plane. Yep. But we are taking steps forward. There are leaps and bounds being made. One of the most interesting things that I found that she said was that when she tells other women that she's an engineer, an aero engineer, uh, that they're also surprised. So I mean, both just... both men and women are capable of casual misogyny, right? That's it's true. <laughs> that, that was basically the the end result of that conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a little bit disheartening, I think. Um, but at the same time, Louisa exists. She is she is changing people's view of what women do in the cycling industry all on her own, right? Uh, and she's not the only one. There's 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 actually quite a few women that I've met over the years uh, working in various engineering parts of the cycling industry. And for every single Louisa, right? It's this it's the representation question. It's it's you can't be what you can't see. For every Louisa, then hopefully that makes you know general STEM related professions. Uh, a more normal thing for women to step into. I mean, not to not to come back around to the hottest topic of last week, which was the prize money, um, the great prize money debate of Omlu Pet Newsblad. But that in and out, that debate, really, what it boiled down to was the representation, what it meant. Um, it's just it just shows that we have made a lot of leaps and bounds in the sport and there's still a long way to go within just the professional side the industry side and the recreational side um but there yeah there's still a really long way to go i but i think it's good i think that we we are seeing really good things and we talked about it in freewheeling that the the fact that this debate happened even shows that people are watching the space of women in cycling which is that's no. a really good point, actually, because that disparity has existed forever. And the fact that this is the first year where it became a massive story that, you know, spawned reporting and commentary and lots of chatter throughout the entire week is in itself a step forward, right? You have to identify the problem before you can fix it. Uh, not that this one was particularly difficult to identify, but th- this one was identified for sort of the the general public, right? The general public was suddenly, you know, suddenly angry about this particular topic, uh, and that is a step forward in and of itself. I because it's a agree. really easy way to boil down um, the inequality of cycling. You 
can point to there not being a full there not being full live coverage of Strata and everything but at the end of the day who actually watches the entirety of the live coverage of a race it's super easy to look at a piece of paper and be like wait wtf why are the women getting paid five percent of what the men are getting paid it's really easy to look at that and see the inequality it showed the power of messaging as well there was a there was an image that went around that was a, a sort of pie chart right with the little tiny sliver for the women's peloton and their prize money and the entire rest of the pie for the men's peloton. And that mm. visual was super striking. It was shared all over Instagram. It was put up all over the place. The messaging around that was super effective, which is obviously sort of the, the lens by which I view a lot of things in communications and, and uh, media. And that one image helped spur all, all the whole conversation. <clears throat> helped spur the whole conversation last week. That one little image, because it was, you could just it look at it and instantly know what was wrong, right? Uh, or that there was a problem, I should say. The what was wrong is a little bit more complicated, but that there was a problem was, yeah. was immediately apparent uh, with that one little visual cue, which I, I hadn't previously seen. Nobody had put together the, the pie chart before. If only there was a way to put a pie tar- chart together about so many other things in life. We could, we could do that. Maybe we'll just make, you know, a pie chart a week. Your women's cycling pie chart this week. Pie chart of the week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hopefully everybody learned something and had a good time listening to my chats with Ellery and with Louisa. It was really fun to talk to them and get a little bit more perspective from some other spaces within cycling. And um, yeah, happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. The custom in Latvia is actually to get tulips for the women in your life. Um, So if you feel so inclined, you could pick up some tulips or just flowers. I don't think it's really that strict for your mom, your sister, your best friend, your significant other. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I'm off to go get get my wife a rose. (laughs) 